Some pro-choice protesters show up at Joel Osteen's church and interrupt his service to protest the overturning or potential overturning of Roe v. Wade. We'll talk about what these girls do, but more importantly, we'll ask the question, are protests really even effective in the first place? We'll talk about that and more today on IndieThinker. Our show today is sponsored by Element Home Loans and our friends over at the Kevin Blair team. If you are looking for a new home or to refinance your home, then you need to go get pre-approved for free today by going to kevinblairteam.com. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Uh, if you don't know, we are so, so close to 1,000 subscribers and we wanna go even further than that. Why not 2,000 subscribers? And we need your help to do that. So please make sure to subscribe if you haven't done so. And then you can also share this video on social media or wherever you wanna communicate with people and then ask people, your friends, your social circles to also subscribe to the channel. We're dispensing some great information, uh, I think here, and I think it will be helpful to others. That's what we wanna to try to achieve for here at the show. So please make sure to subscribe and then, and then help us by getting others to subscribe. And then also wanna make sure that you know that we have a live show coming up. Chris Buckley, former KKK member and veteran of uh, Afghanistan war is gonna come and he's gonna share his story about coming out of the KKK and how he converted and saw the error of his ways. And then he's also gonna be talking about extremism and all those issues that kind of surround what we're talking about with extremism in America right now. It's a very polarizing time to say the least, but I have an argument that that polarization may be good because it actually helps us understand what we truly believe. And so when, when things become polarized, things can tend to become a little bit clearer. Uh, I'll put it this way. When we as Christians really stand up for what we believe in, it can be polarizing. People can be alienated from Christianity simply because of what we truly stand for. But here's the problem. If they don't understand Christianity in the first place, then what they're coming to is not Christianity, right? So, so we have to clearly illustrate what Christianity is to help people find on-ramps to Christianity. That's one, of the, uh, that's one of the side effects of polarization, the redemptive side effects. Now, of course, there are many negative, but that's one of the redemptive aspects of polarization, but polarization also has a negative aspect in this way. It can be used for political purposes. So we're gonna talk about that with Chris and so many other things, and you can participate in some of the Q&A with Chris. I, I think you're gonna love it. So make sure to make plans if you are in the Chattanooga area on July 14th at 6.30 p.m., so Thursday night, to be there. We'll, we'll give more information as we get a little bit closer to the event, but please make plans to be there, and you can sign up for that at the link that is down below in the description of this podcast. All right, so I wanna show you really quick a clip of our friends, a couple of girls who were protesting during a service at Lakewood Church. And of course, that is the Houston, Texas Church of Joel Osteen. So they showed up to one of his services in the middle of the service. They stood up and they began to shout, my body, my choice. But I'll let you see that here in a clip of the protest. It's my body, my choice. It's my body. My choice!
Now, I thought this was really interesting, so I wanted to comment on it. But also, uh, toward the end of this, we're going to talk about protesting, generally speaking, and then just try to... I'm going to give you my perspective on protesting. And then, I, you know, down in the comments section, of course, I'm sure people without permission are going to go and share their perspective on what they think about what I've just said. But, but I want you to hear me out about protesting, just generally speaking. All right, but be before I do that, I just want to say this. Um, I felt like I needed to give these girls a little bit of help. And so, because... I know they watch the show. Um, I'll just go ahead and tell you, ladies, if you're going to protest, you know, uh, your right to have an abortion, if you're going to stand up for the pro-abortion side, then you need to know something about evangelical Christianity. Joel Osteen has never once in his life ever expressed a genuinely pro-life view from his pulpit, from any kind of media that he has done, any sermon that he has done. He has certainly never preached about the importance of protecting the unborn. Because Joel Osteen is what we might call a therapeutic moral deist, or in other words, he's a positive mental attitude preacher. Now, this is not to say that Joel Osteen is not a Christian. That's a video for another day. This is not even to say that Joel Osteen is not preaching the gospel, although I do not think he does. This is just merely to say that Joel Osteen is not the pillar of Christianity that people who are outside of Christianity think he is. Like, you would only go to Joel Osteen's church to protest abortion if you knew nothing about Joel Osteen and certainly nothing about evangelicals writ large. Because Joel Osteen doesn't even call himself a pastor. Joel Osteen, no one looks up to the guy as a, you know, a pillar of preaching. In the, in the Christian evangelical world. In fact, there's a lot of people who are, who are really quick to throw Joel Osteen uh, in a place other than heaven. You can figure out for yourself where that might be. So, so suffice to say, just the little help I want to provide for you ladies, a little bit of research would help you in understanding where might be the best place for you to talk about your, your, your stance. If you're going to make a scene, and draw attention to yourself, maybe not the best place for it because Christians everywhere saw that and they're like, guys, <laughs> I think you're in the wrong place. Whatever gave you the idea you were in heaven, Mr. Valentine, this is the other place. And, and I know, I'm gonna do my best to try to be um, very civil, but, but also be myself. And, and I just, I gotta say, um, I, this may be naughty and I'll get in trouble for it later, but I just, I have to tell you, I have, I have this question. Why is it always that the ones that, that no man wants to touch are always telling people for men, like telling men to get their hands off my body? Uh, so, so why are you yelling about it in the first place? I guess is the question. Um, but, but I bring this, bring this up, not merely to make fun of these girls. In fact, you can't even see them from the front. You can only see them from the backside. But that is... Uh, that is what I'm, I guess I'm, I'm talking about. And so you, these girls um, have, uh, are just in their underwear and you saw in the video that they have like green handprints. So I'm not quite, quite sure like who is touching their body, but some green person is apparently. But needless to say, they want people to, uh, they want men, I guess, especially to keep their hands off of their body because it's a woman's choice and men have nothing to do with this and all of that kind of chitter chattering that we hear from pro-abortionists because they don't really have good substantial cogent arguments. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Um, but, but I bring this up predominantly because when you see these girls from the rear, 
It's not a very pleasant sight. Um, and you also see something that I think deserves to be mentioned here. And, and I'm going to call it Christian chafing because one of the girls, as she's walking away, I'm not going to uh, put it up on the screen because I don't want anybody to see it. Uh, I didn't want to see it when I saw it. Um, but her underwear is, um, how do you say, rammed up her rear end. And, and this does, I, the only reason I'm talking about this is it does bring up a problem that Christians suffer from that so many people need to realize. And it's called Christian chafing. And what that means is when you, and what that is, is when you stand up and sit down a lot as you do in church, like for announcements, you sit down, for worship you stand, and maybe you stand for the reading of the word of God and you sit up, stand up, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up, and all of that. And eventually what that does is sometimes that can allow for your underwear to go into places it's not supposed to go. And so that's why I call it Christian chafing. And this is a real issue. And I believe that we need to shine a spotlight on this issue, that we need to have some real activism around this issue. Christians are suffering around the world when they go to church from, from Christian chafing. And I just think that there's some time that, it's finally time that we started being honest about this thing and really talking about it and letting the conversation finally be heard. Thank you, ladies. But I digress into some more substantive matters. And let's talk about protesting, just kind of generally speaking, because I think this is a good time for us just to kind of look at the art of protesting in the first place, because I've always had some misgivings about protesting. I don't know if you have. Here's a couple of them. The first one is this. Protests aren't really that effective. They rarely solve anything. Now, let me just say this. I think protesting is a hallmark of American democracy. If you want to protest, protest. But let's just be real about this. Um, I've been to some. Um, typically, it's been pro-life uh, protests where I'm standing on the pro-life side and standing up for the unborn and that kind of stuff. And, and I think it's good, and I encourage you to do it. But I also want us to be realistic about the effects of protesting and whether or not they are truly effective. Now, I hate to say that because there's a lot of people who are on my side who are going to be mad at me and saying, Reed, you're undermining all the work that we're doing. But I'm just being honest with you. I don't really think that they're that effective. There are times where they can be. They are an opportunity for people's voice to be heard. And if nothing else, you know, squeaky wheel gets the grease. So maybe they accomplish things here and there or make politicians pay attention for like a millisecond before they move on to continuing to lie to you about other things. I just don't think that they really solve much. And about the only thing that I can think of is the American civil rights movement where protesting was actually really, really effective in changing things. Um, but outside of that, I can't think of a single protest outside of that that actually really solved, solved anything. All right, so here's the second thing. Protests may be more about you than they are about the actual cause. Here's what I mean by that, is that protesting can make you feel good. Protesting can make you feel like you're actually doing something. You're active, you're, 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 you're putting some actions behind your words, but, but very often it's like the easiest action that you can possibly take. It's actually not an action that's going to really push any change in the world. So, so what that leaves us with is that protesting may be more about making you feel like you're doing something in an easy solution to an actual big problem. That's what protesting usually looks like, is it's this simple solution. It's a Band-Aid thrown upon a real big problem, and then it makes you even worse. It makes you feel like you've actually done something about it, but you really haven't. So it's really just like this false salve. It's like a snake oil that makes you think that very often that, you, that you've done something and you haven't. And then the third thing is this. 
protests can be a sign of entitled people. Now, this is not always true, so I want to be careful with this one, but protests can be a sign that those who have done nothing but drink Starbucks their whole life and have an iPhone in their hand and, and are working on their Mac and writing right now a communist manifesto on how capitalism is so evil uh, while they're sitting in the Starbucks and entertaining and, and enjoying free Wi-Fi and, uh, and then tweeting on their iPhone. All of that can be done and, and it, it can be done by a people who really are just so bored that they have nothing else to do but then to go out and protest about things that aren't really that big of an issue. I'll put it another way. Now, I know there's more to this. I'm not trying to be simple here. But you don't see a lot of protesting in the third world. Why? Because they actually have real issues that need to be changed much more so than in America. Do we have issues? Yes. Do, are there protests in third world? Yes. But by and large, they aren't there. Why aren't they there? Some people say, well, it's because they're so oppressed. They don't have the, the freedom to, or they don't have the knowledge to, or whatever. You, you, there's many, many arguments, but I'm just gonna try to gently submit that there is a place to entertain the question as to whether or not protesting is really inside a, a, a sign of an entitled people who, who really are just belly aching and complaining because they are so blessed. And they, they have to cre create and construct problems so that they can actually find the kind of purpose that can come from really challenging issues in their life. I really think this is true of, of the generation that we're dealing with right now in America, is that they have been so blessed and so accustomed to the, 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 the freedoms and the luxuries of being an American that they're having to create issues. Now, I'm going to make a controversial statement. I've made it before. And you know how much I hate controversy on this channel. But I think the transgender, like transition surgery, big pharma side of transgenderism is exactly this, is that we are so blessed in America and so carefree very often that we are punishing ourselves with transitional surgery, cutting off breasts and cutting off private parts um, and, and doing so because Full body plastic surgery, needless to say, creates complications that you're probably going to have to deal with for the rest of your life. So it is an attempt to create problems that didn't exist because we are so carefree in the American West. And it's undeniable. Pur problems create purpose, right? Because then you got to solve them. When you realize problems, you can find purpose in solving those problems. And so we are so purposeless in America because we move so far away from the faith that could bring us purpose and from the God that created us on purpose and for a purpose that now we're creating our own problems. And may God have mercy on your soul. And I guess this is what I'm saying is that protesting can be a signal that we don't really have the kind of problems that deserve substantive, real grassroots action beyond protesting. It can be, suffice to say. And then perhaps the fourth and final thing that protesting is, is, is this. And I've kind of alluded to it already, is that it is an easy solution. Anybody can shout, but you don't really have to say anything. So for instance, when these girls stand up in Joel Osteen's church, my body, my choice, they're not saying anything. Yes, it's your body, but you're not just dealing with your body. You're also dealing with another body, unless you may potentially have male genitalia because there's a male body inside of your body because there are two bodies 
And besides, Francis Chan brilliantly brought out this point. If you don't know who Francis Chan is, he's a uh, prolific Christian, uh, passionate preacher. And he said this just recently in a service. This is my body, my choice. God says, no, wait a second. No, nothing is yours. I spoke this world into existence. The world is the, is the Lord's and everything in it. So we Christians don't believe that it's actually your body. We believe that it's actually God's body and you're supposed to do what he says with that body. But let's just dig into the inanity, the banality of the argument from the pro-abortion syndicate. All right, so they say things like this. They say that if a baby is not viable or if a fetus is not viable, to, to use their terminology, we'll get to that in a moment. If a fetus is not viable, then it is not a life. Well, here's the problem with that. Did you know that the moment babies come out of the womb, that they are not viable and that they are self-sustaining? Like a baby cannot feed itself. A baby is not gonna crawl on the ground and figure out overnight how to work its own neck so that it can eventually go find food wherever it can find it. Survival of the fittest doesn't work so well when you're dealing with a baby inside the womb or outside the womb. The viability argument simply states this, that it is a life once it is viable or self-sustaining or self-reliant. No baby, in fact, I've got a eight-year-old that I'm pretty sure if I don't every once in a while give Cinnamon Toast Crunch to, that he is not a viable human being, that he'll just melt down. Uh, it's not totally true, it's kind of a joke. But suffice to say, at what point do we really say that something is viable? This is where you get, um, this is where you get laws, like what was trying to be passed with AB 223 in California, where they said even outside of the womb, you can still abort your baby. Um, I don't have to get into that because that's, that's a little bit crudely stated, but essentially this is the idea. Even if a baby is out of the womb, it's still not viable. So slippery slope, needless to say, right? Because when do we finally say that a child truly is viable? But then here's the other thing that you're gonna hear from the pro-abortion community that shows kind of the silliness of their arguments. They're gonna try to change the name of a baby to try to make you believe that a baby is anything other than a baby. So here's Peter Hitchens, and if that last name rings a bell, it's because Peter Hitchens is Christopher Hitchens' brother. And Peter Hitchens is not an atheist, as his brother Christopher Hitchens was one of the most famous atheists of our age, certainly. Uh, Peter Hitchens is a conservative commentator, and here he is schooling an atheist and a pro-abortioner on their slyness in trying to change the name of a baby in the womb to a fetus and other things. But it does seem to me to be self-evident that killing unborn babies is wrong. And, I, and every opportunity I have to say it, I'll say it, because it just seems to me to be so blindingly obvious and such a, an, an immense wickedness in our society that if I didn't say it, even if it disadvantaged me to say it, then I would be failing in my duty. There's two different questions uh, at stake here. The, the first is, at what point uh, does a fertilized egg become uh, a person? And there is there is no scientific consensus on this. There is no scientific definition of what that could possibly be. You're slipping, the, though, from, from, from human to a person. You're trying to define the human not as, uh, not as a physically, objectively existing thing, but as a social being, which, of course, no one in a womb can be. 
So presumably you're not a person until the moment you're born by that definition, but you're still a human. Uh, well, I mean, this kind of sophistry is what you get when people want to justify well, let, killing let me, for let their me, own convenience. An abortion is conducted almost invariably for, the, con for the convenience answer, of let, Let's just, allow just Adam to, to, finish, to finish there, yeah. But there, as I said, there isn't a scientific consensus on it. The, the reason we have uh, 24 weeks as the cut-off point unless there are medical um, reasons to extend beyond that, is because there's no scientific evidence that uh, younger fetuses than, than 24 weeks have an increased survival rate. Listen, um, listen to the word fetus. It, it's, it's a fetus. It's a nice Latin word. It's dehumanized already. It's not, a, it's not a baby, it's a fetus. That's correct. It's, it's dehumanized not a, it's, so you can kill it. It's that's, not that's what, a baby. That's what, that's what killers always do. They dehumanize their victim before they kill it. It's a fetus a is not a baby, and there's, there's no possible way that you could, you could argue that no, a fetus right. is a baby. Right. Well, try, right. It's try extraordinary, isn't it, that the one thing, you can, you can show anything, you can, show any, you, can, you, can, you can show anything on British television, any kind of disemboweling, any, almost any kind of sexual activity, you can, you can play any, any, any word they were using full of words on the Town Clock News on the BBC last night, but the one thing you cannot show on television is film of an abortion and what it involves, because it shows quite plainly that what is being destroyed is a human person. So I just love Peter Hitchens' unyielding response to this guy. He is not going to let this dude get away with just merely stating that a baby in the womb is called a fetus so that you can just say that a stage of development means that you can kill a baby. Right? So you may call it a fetus if you want to, but you can't say a toddler or an adolescent, or a elderly person is a different thing other than a human being. So a fetus is a human being, so what you're killing in the womb is a human being. You can't get around that. And essentially all I'm saying here is just simply this, is that protesting is so simple. You don't have to have facts. You don't have to really know what you're talking about. You just have to be able to carry a sign and you have to be able to shout. And conversations about these things would be much more important and much more useful. So as we verge upon the precipice of a monumental decision with Roe v. Wade and its, and its overturning, I want us to come back to the place where we're willing to not just look for simple, easy solutions, but that we're actually really willing to engage. We're really willing to consider, does the pro-life movement actually have a point? Uh, are pro-abortionists operating upon the most flawed logic that you've ever seen on the planet? And where else can we see flawed logic? And where else does it need to be exposed regardless of our deeply held beliefs? Regardless of what we have emotionally come to adopt over years and years and years of being lied to? Where do we have blind spots that need logic to come in and crush our dreams? Because it needs to lead us to the truth. Well, wherever that is, I wish you the best on your journey, and I wish you the best as you contemplate what substantive action looks like to actually make really important change moving forward in the future. By the way, it don't look like these girls. It's my body, my choice. All right, guys, thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe if you felt this video was helpful, and you can comment down below. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.